Listen up and let's talk about it, y'all. Today's Tuesday, October 20th, 2020. We are about 14 days from probably the most historical, controversial, yet influential presidential election of most of our lifetimes. Um, iHeartRadio and many other platforms have championed and led this charge for the value and the importance of the vote. More specifically, iHeartRadio is asking the question of why I'm voting. So I'm doing this episode, and I'm going to forewarn you, it's going to be long because this is something that I'm passionate about. But I've been sitting on this message. I've actually recorded it and deleted it probably about three times prior to today. But you know what? The reason I started this podcast was literally what I consider divine intervention. I won't go into too much about what I mean in the specifics, but generally speaking and and short and brief, all that really means to me in this moment right now is that I'm being obedient to God. What he told me to do. And most of the time, I hope anyway, all of the time, what he's saying to me as well. I hope to be reflective of that. Um, My faith in God assures me that if God leads me to it, he will see me through it. And so it's clear that even though every opportunity is not a divine opportunity, this right now, in this moment, in this time, is the time that I'm being called forth to not only just start this podcast, but even just uh, put out this message. So I say all that to say, before I enter into the fire that comes to talking about politics (laughs) in today's society, I offer you this disclaimer. And I'm hoping to, and I'm praying to, come to a point in this podcast um, setting and realm that I establish myself so significantly that I don't have to offer a disclaimer because while I'm not seeking validation or acceptance, I do want people to come on here with an open mind, even if you don't agree with or believe in the things that I'm saying or doing. And so here's my disclaimer. I'm not here to impress the masses. I recognize my beliefs different from those who look like me those who have grown up around me, even the people who lived in the same household and share the same bloodline as me. I'm, I'm, I'm completely okay with knowing and acknowledging that my beliefs differ from those around me. That's okay. But I believe that I'm called to be a voice to the voiceless. I'm called to inspire the leaders and influences of the future. I'm here to give somebody somewhere some hope. My faith in God tells me that if I could just reach one person and cause only one person to rethink their circumstances, cause one person to challenge the status quo, cause one person to stand up and show up in their own lives and say, "Uh uh-uh, not today, Satan, then I have served my purpose. I am here to remind you that while heavy is the crown of responsibility and accountability, Heavy is the crown of personal burdens and baggage we tend to carry through life. Let's not forget God's promise to us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where God says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, I'm not here to impress the masses. 
I'm just here to simply put forth a message that hopefully will touch somebody somewhere and cause them to rethink on this particular subject why it is that they vote. So now to honestly answer the question to why I vote, I need to be honest with y'all and share with y'all everything I've learned thus far, or some of everything that I've learned thus far about the inner workings of the American government. This learning is a direct result of me being in school to pursue a degree in social work. In fact, I laugh at the sense of humor of God and how things work out because the two classes that have emboldened my passion about voting and about American history and about politics and the inner workings of the government, actually three classes, was one, my social welfare and policy class with Dr. Kalita Fairfax at Norfolk State University, where she is a historian for black history. And she used to fuss at us because she would ask us things that had nothing to do with what we were talking about. But she assumed and expected us to know it because it was a part of history, a part of black history, as a matter of fact. And she would tell us all the time, there's certain things you have to just commit to memory. Well, that class was tough, but I learned a lot in that class as far as how the government works the way that it works and about the social institutions of economy, politics, family, religion, and education. And when you know these social institutions, you're able to know and understand how everything is tied all in together and it's tied into each other through policy. And that's a whole nother thing, but I'm, I'm really adamant and passionate about policy, about policy and the, the role that elected government officials play in policy. The other thing was, and I fussed and I cussed and I was so mad about it, they made me take a political science class. I said, why? Why do I need to know about government? I'm not working in government. I'm trying to be a social worker. And I've learned some things through my social welfare policy class. I think I'm okay with where I'm at with learning about the American government. So, 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 so bad. But I learned so, so much. And forgive me because I can't pronounce his name correctly. I used to just call him Dr. M. I think it's Marcela, Marcela. I'm not sure. But he teaches political science at Norfolk State University as well. All my classes are at Norfolk State University because that's where I'm going right now. And so, oh, man, I learned so much from Dr. M. So, so, so very much. But in particular, one of the things we had to do was we had to break down the budget of assigned states that he gave us and he gave me the state of north carolina i believe yes i think it was north carolina at any rate when you know how your states and your city budget works you know and understand the value and the importance of taxes and so i'm so incredibly thankful for the class that i just did not want to take at all whatsoever fussed and cussed and pouted about and told my advisors that they were wrong and reading my transcript wrong because i didn't want to take my political science class but boy oh boy did i learn so much the other class i'm actually in it right now i'm sure i'm pronouncing her name incorrectly but her name is dr t She's a young African-American woman, very knowledgeable about history. And um, it's African-American history. It's, 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 it's what I called and what I thought it was called and what I took it on the community college level twice <laughs> was black studies, African-American studies. And I was so mad again when they told me I had to take it again. 
I'm like, why? I already took it. But I'm so thankful to be taking these classes at this time in our nation, in our country, because history literally is repeating itself. So I won't share everything that I've learned because it's just way, way too much. And while I anticipate this is going to be a long episode, I don't want it to be too long. I don't want to lose y'all in the thought process of expressing why it is that I vote. But it truly is the the inner workings of more so of the what and the how and the who that really leads to the why, in my opinion, of why I vote. So I might and I plan to include certain little tidbits and um, information about personal experiences that I have seen or that others have shared with me that have contributed to why I vote. I'm going to try and limit this to three different subject matters in the sense of highlighting the reasons, the three main reasons why I vote. The first one being is I want to be an example to my children. So let me start this off again. (laughs) It's going to be long, but hopefully you'll find some value in this. True story. My my eight-year-old daughter is learning about voting in her social studies class. She's actually taking social studies at the same time that I'm taking my social work classes, and we're all doing it virtually. At any given time in my house, there's about four to five laptops running. We're a family of five. It also includes the work that my husband does, and the noise level is tremendous. I am having trouble at this point in the pandemic finding somewhere quiet to study or even quiet to take my classes. So I've learned or I'm learning to try to tune out the noise of everybody else in the house. So while I can hear my daughter uh, in her class sometimes when I'm in my class I have no idea what they're talking about because I'm in my class so I didn't know that they were talking about voting in her social studies class but they are so the way she told me that she was talking about voting in social studies is kind of funny and for people who actually know me personally or follow me on social media particularly um facebook they know a lot about little miss marianne she i probably should start her youtube channel or a podcast of her own because you never really know what she's going to say or do sometimes it's funny most of the times it's funny sometimes it's inappropriate not in the sense of like super bad or dark inappropriate but it's not things that she should really say or do. You know, she seems to be very observant and she seems to be very opinionated. I don't know where she gets that from. I don't know. But um, nonetheless, it's never a dull moment with Marianne. And this was one of those instances. So she said to me, Mom, what you going to talk about on your podcast? And, you know, they know I've been trying to do this podcast for a while. I've been talking about it for a while. So they're really, um, one thing about Marianne, all my children and my husband, but particularly Marianne, she's the biggest cheerleader of everybody. She want to see everybody win. And so if you tell her that you're doing something or she sees that you're doing something and it's something that you enjoy or that you're passionate about, she's going to be right behind you, cheering you on, clapping you on. And she's going to have a lot of questions, but she is going to be your number one fan. And I love love that about her. I want her to to keep that. I want her to, I hope that she can continue to be that way despite anything that she sees or hears in this, in this world right now or, or in the future. But she asked me, what was I going to talk about on my podcast? And then 
don't remember if I answered her or not. She tends sometimes to be uh, repetitive or to hit you with the back to back to back. So I can't remember what I said, but she says like voting and citizenship or something. So me being me, I'm always joking with my kids. And so I'm like, what? Citizenship voting? Why would you assume that? Um, now, my kids do know I'm very passionate about voting. I'm very passionate about these candidates and, and what they bring to the table and about events that are happening in the world and in, the, in our nation particularly, and even some of the things that happen here in Virginia. So I talk about it all, all the time, but not really so much with them. So it was interesting when she said voting or citizenship. Um, in hindsight, I now know why she said that, because that's what they're talking about in her class. But I was just like, huh, what? Where's that coming from? You know? And so I kind of played dumb, like, what are you talking? about you know she um never really answered that question when i asked her why she would assume that but she followed me into the living room and began talking about donald trump because the news was on in the living room and that was what was on i forget what they were talking about at that moment but it was something concerning donald trump i believe they were announcing the new debate um time and date or whatever that's coming up in two days on thursday and so her exact words were why would anyone vote for Trump? <laughs> I laughed so hard, so, 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 so hard, but it didn't even stop there. She said, why would anyone vote for Trump? He don't care about no one. And I was like, wow. I mean, I literally just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. I mean, like busted up laughing, like, because I'm like, where did you get this from? Like, where is this coming from? But again, unbeknownst to me, her class had been talking about this. I'm literally laughing, like literally laughing, because the stuff she says be like so off the wall and random sometimes that you just can't help but to laugh, you know. And she says it with this funny voice and she makes funny faces. But, you know, it's funny, but you could tell sometimes that she'd be serious. And I could tell that she was serious, but I'm like, where is this coming from? And then I couldn't even finish laughing. And it probably uh, helped not only entertain her, but encourage her because she then follows that up with saying, let the church say amen. And oh my goodness, I'm like just beyond it at this point. I'm like falling off the couch in tears laughing because I'm like, this little girl, like, you know, this is an eight-year-old, y'all. This is an eight-year-old, y'all. And as I sit back and reflect on that moment and what she said and just the uh, tremendous amount of, of laughter that came from it, I remember out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of babes. So again, to the point of why I vote, I told y'all I would give y'all three reasons. My first reason is so that I could be an example for my children. So again, to the point of the vote and why I vote. Man, the children really are our future. It's not just a song. I believe it. And it's beautiful yet unfortunate because these kids today, they're dealing with a lot. They were dealing with a lot pre-pandemic. Now, again, here I go with another disclaimer. And I assure you, this will probably be the only one of my podcast episodes where I intentionally insert or make an effort to mention my intentions. And I'm only doing this because I recognize the impact that this platform has the potential to have. And... The diversity of the audience I want to reach. So I recognize that my opinions or viewpoints on this subject may rub a few people the wrong way. So again, to my disclaimer, and to really just reiterate the goal and purpose of my podcast, even if you disagree with what you hear me say today, I encourage you to just hear me out 
and tune in and listen up and then join in on the discussion later so we can talk about it. I also want to take this brief break in my thoughts to assure you that from what I have actually heard and what my daughter has shared with me, her social studies teacher is not encouraging or emphasizing the endorsement of one candidate over the other. My daughter's teacher is teaching kids about the functions and branches of the government and the role and responsibility of elected officials. And knowing this and knowing that that's what she's teaching them is phenomenal. And it actually really confirms and and provides a great segue for my goal in voting to set an example for my kids. Because, baby, when I turn on my TV or the radio or just really take the time to watch and listen to what my kids watch and listen to, I'm like, whoa. Right now, even child-based networks like Nickelodeon and Disney are talking to kids about voting, which is good. But one, they aren't saying why you need to vote. And two, I never want to be one of them parents that always allow other people to teach my kids what they should value. And by other people, I mean strangers or celebrities. I pride myself in the fact that I teach my kids to be respectful of the thoughts and beliefs of others, even if they're different than their own. However, I refuse to allow outside influence to have more impact on my kids' upbringing, such as morals and character and values, than me. And again, to why I vote, I want to be an example to my kids that even when the government and nation is divided, even when we see hate, death, destruction around us, even if we feel let down or disappointed by the government or politicians, you should still vote. I also want to teach them that voting is your voice and that voting is silence to your voice. And silence in time of crisis is complacency. It sends the message that you don't care or worse, that you agree with what's going on. I also want to show my kids to also not just vote thoughtlessly. Look into things on your own. Be your own person. Think for yourself, but still vote. Recently, I read a quote by Pharrell Williams. It said, go inward so you can go upward and outward. And that's what I think about as I set an example by voting. Now, speaking of setting the example through voting, I'm going to try my best to not make this about Donald Trump. (laughs) I know and realize that Trump has a very strong and loyal support base. So I don't even want to even begin to start off this journey on this podcast by challenging the people who support him. However, I know my opinions may very well challenge your beliefs to or for him. Just hear me out and listen up. It's way bigger than Trump for me. With regard to setting the example and the connection to Trump, I quiver at the thought of the message that this presidency is sending to young kids. My kids are aged 14, 11, and 8. Technically, that's a high schooler, middle schooler, and elementary schooler. One at each level. Lord, pray for me, y'all. Most parents teach their kids to be respectful to others, especially adults, to be responsible, responsible for their belongings, responsible for themselves, their actions, behaviors, words, to be kind, to not speak when others are speaking. We want to teach accountability through positive and or negative reinforcements, such as rewards or consequences. At least most of us do anyway. And we teach our kids to be honest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we sit back and watch the actions and words of a man who holds the highest position of the land, a celebrity in his own right, a billionaire. I think I believe he's a billionaire, a businessman, a reality TV star and an icon to some. He was elected, quote unquote elected, as in chosen by the majority of the people, so to speak. 
We watched this man blatantly defy the very values that most people teach their kids to uphold. And if that is not enough to raise alarm, the appearance being made is that he is able to do this and is supported in doing this by other elected officials. My fear is for the child that looks at Donald Trump and says, I want to be president so I can do and say whatever I want. So again, to my point, I vote to set an example for my kids. Now allow me to play the devil's advocate for a minute. I took an economic class a few semesters ago. My, pref- my professor's name was Dr. Ngo. Literally, I believe, pronounced and, sp- and spelled the same way, N-G-O. I believe that's how you pronounce it anyway. But I could be wrong. I can't remember where he was from exactly, but he was of Asian, Asian descent. I believe that he was from Vietnam. But again, I could be wrong, and please forgive me if I am. Great professor. But another one of those classes that I was mad that they made me take. And this was like a really, really hard class. It was very technical. Dr. NGO spoke to us as if we were all business majors that knew or had some sort of idea of these concepts, which I had none. I'm a social work major, okay? Not a business owner, not a business major, okay? I'm just trying to learn about helping people here, and they got me in this economics class. But again, I'm forever grateful and thankful for it. But in, in my mind at that time is I ain't signed up for no math class because it was a lot of math. But hey, here we are. So Dr. NGO is teaching concepts like price elasticity, production costs, perfect competition, monopoly, monopolistic competition, oligopoly. And when I say monopoly, I'm not talking about the game. Business cycles and unemployment, gross domestic product and labor market. I mean, I can go on and on. Inflation. Federal deficit surpluses and national debt, monetary policy, money and federal reserve system. And I mean, I struggle, but not with the concepts, more with the math and formulas associated with certain concepts. But the thing that stuck out the most to me because of our current president was the section about supply and demand, monopoly, oligopoly, and unemployment. You see, just to hone in on one, I'll hone in on monopoly. It's the easiest for me to explain in layman's terms, I feel like. Monopoly in economics is the exclusive possession or control of the supply of or trade in a commodity or service. That's the Google definition. I, I, I'm trying to remember how I wrote it in my notes, but that's that sounds about how I described it in my notes. Uh, it seems the easiest to explain it that way. I think my book is a little bit more technical. Essentially, it's a market structure that consists of a single seller selling a unique product. In this type of market, there is no competition. Usually, the seller's item is so unique that you won't find a close substitution. This allows the seller to set their own price for the item. My teacher used to use Apple and the iPhone for the for this example. He actually used Apple and the iPhone for a lot of the economic um, concepts that we discovered because of the uniqueness of the iPhone. He mentioned a few other cars, too, expensive cars, and how they're able to set their price and don't lower their price because they're only targeting a certain um, market. I want to say he said like the Maybach or other expensive cars that they only make a certain number in production anyway, and you'll never see them lower their price for that. But that's a different subject for another day. He did use the iPhone and Apple as a lot of these examples for the economic structures and things like that. And so even though he used the Apple and the iPhone for his examples, I automatically started thinking Donald Trump. 
every time he introduced a new business concept, well, it was an economic concept, but how it related and pertained to business, I thought about the president. And we were never talking about the president, you know. But as I look then a year ago and then at the shift in the economy and then look at it again now, again, uh, in terms of monopoly and some of these other terms, I continue to think about Donald J. Trump. So, again, playing the devil's advocate, Trump is a businessman. So he got up there in that Oval Office and began doing what he does best, running a business. Businessmen of his stature and status rub elbows with the likes of all kinds of people, both good and bad, I'm sure. So I, so from a basic economic and business perspective, I get Donald Trump. The problem is the U.S., its allies, its citizens, its government structure, et cetera, et cetera, wasn't intended to be ran as a business. There are some business aspects of the government, but that was not its intention. Had it been its intention, we wouldn't have the system of checks and balances that we do between the different branches of government. For the most part, American government is black or white. And I'm not talking about racial, racial implications. I'm talking about policy and structure wise. It's a blessing and a curse because we now see the areas of gray that have been left open for interpretation and exploitation. That's not a Trump thing. That's an American government thing. With regard to only the business finance piece, essentially Trump is doing what any businessman would do, which is take advantage of the loopholes. That's not an excuse. It's merely a matter of perspective based on what I learned in my economics class, which might I add, we never discussed politics in that class ever, never, ever. This was just a connection I made from what I learned. Now, my alarm and concern is for the precedent, not the president, the precedent, as in the example that this sets in that while my daughter's third grade teacher is teaching her that to be a good citizen, you have to be responsible and respectful and follow rules and laws. Meanwhile, Trump stands before the nation, hailing himself as the law and order president while running a presidency so riddled with corruption and lack of regard for laws and rules. What is the message we are sending to these kids? But I digress. I think you guys get the gist of my reason to vote, to set the example for my kids. Reason number two of why I vote. Is because I fully know and acknowledge the value of what my ancestors sacrificed for me, not only to be able to vote, one, as a woman, because at one point you couldn't do that, two, as a black woman, because at one point blacks could not vote, but also the sacrifice that they took for a chance and a shot at racial equality in all areas of American life. Now, you probably won't get very many disclaimers for this reason. Other than I apologize in advance if my passion comes through on this topic. Sometimes I'm aware that my passion comes off and seems a little aggressive. My tone of voice gets a little bit more stern. Um, sometimes my word knowledge and references become offensive because I forget some of the more politically correct ways to say how I'm feeling and start being real firm and real weird, real, real. So while I make no apologies for how I feel, because I feel that is valid as anyone else feels about their feelings, I apologize now 
if I get all worked up and that aggression comes through. It, it, it's good aggression. It's not bad aggression, but I I know how I get. But again, that's probably, and I didn't even intend for that disclaimer to come out, the only disclaimer you'll get for this reason why I vote, because I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. Now, this is where the frustration comes in and the passion overrides the frustration is when I hear people of my generation or younger say, we are not our ancestors. Some even add, we are not our ancestors, we'll beat your ass. Excuse my language. But this statement just really pisses me off. What exactly are you saying? What exactly does that mean? Because according to my history books, according to what I've learned and researched, according to the people that I've encountered and had discussions about with this on an intellectual and educational and even a casual level, it's because of our ancestors that we are here today. It's because of our ancestors that we enjoy the freedom and rights that we have today, no matter how limited or controversial they are. I don't know about y'all, but I'm proud of where, I, where my blood comes from. I personally feel like y'all need to stop with this. I'm not my ancestors crap. We have always fought back. We have always stood up for ourselves as much as we could. You doggone right some of us ain't our ancestors. Because our ancestors were willing to risk death for their beliefs and rights. They were willing to go sit down in a jail cell. They were willing to risk being beaten and sprayed down with high-powered hoses. They were willing, not really willing, I mean, I'm not saying they were willing participants, but they knew the risk associated with fighting and standing up for their rights. So much so that they endure police brutality. So much so that they endure police brutality, not only at the hands of police officers, but even at the hands or the mouths, I should say, of police dogs. Meanwhile, some of us are hollering that our rights are being violated in 2020 because we have to wear a mask or we can't go to church during a pandemic. Are you serious? I guess y'all are because I've heard it so much. And for the love of God, can we please stop with the comparisons between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. This may come out wrong or harsh or rub people the wrong way, but look at the plight of both these young influential black men. They were both assassinated, essentially. Peaceful or not peaceful, look what happened to these black leaders. So I really don't understand the point in highlighting one versus the other, especially at this time in our country. I have some choice words for what I feel that it is, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it's kind of dismissive. It's kind of offensive as well. I recently had to write a paper which asked, are you living Dr. King's dream? Well, are you? Are we? I leave that for you to answer, but my answer is clear. And I didn't write this in my paper before you asked. But I'm including it now because this was what the, the conclusion that I came to as a result of the research that I had to do for the paper. So um, to answer this question, in my opinion, we are living out parts of Dr. King's dream today. Not just because he was educated and God-fearing. Not just because he spoke so eloquently. 
not just because he was a civil rights leader and a minister and so many other things to so many other people, so extremely influential. But we are living out parts of his dream because Dr. King knew the risk. He was well aware of what we were up against as a people, yet he still was bold and brave enough to declare a dream, not just for himself and his own family, but he stood before a nation with a dream for everyone. He removed himself long enough to stand before a nation and represent the pain, the fear, the hope for a better tomorrow, for generations to come. And it's because of people like Dr. Martin Luther King that I say and feel so emphatically Stop discounting and discrediting the validity of history. Everything you read and hear about American history is not a lie. Yeah, we know Christopher Columbus didn't discover America. And we know the American education system skews history. But if you're only learning about history in your classrooms, as in preschool or kindergarten to 12th grade public education in America, shame on you. If your children and you're only allowing and relying on your children to learn history through the American educational system, shame on you. If you only relying on social media or the news in general as your source of information, shame on you. And I say the word shame, but I really don't mean shame. I really don't want to shame anybody. That is such a harmful and hurtful thing to do. It's just the best way to describe how jaded and shaded we are when it comes to history. I recently had a conversation with somebody that I really love and hold dear and true. But again, this politics thing is a really controversial thing to talk about. My relationships with a lot of people have been strained because of my openness to express my political views. And I feel like I'm I'm validated because I'm coming from a place of fact. But fact doesn't matter anymore. Emotions override logic. We see it every day now. But I said that to say, I said to this person... I like to speak from a place of fact. And their response was, well, how do you know what is fact? Even the history that we're learning isn't the whole truth. And so again, I acknowledge that. But I also say shame on us for expecting only one source or one outlet to give us our history. Shame on us for allowing education to start, begin, and end in the public education system. We should continue to pursue knowledge on our own once we graduate high school. A degree is not the end all to all alls, and college is not for everybody. But we should still consciously continue to pursue knowledge. So that we can grow and evolve as human beings. So again, I say shame, but I'm using the word lightly, but it is so relevant right now. Shame on you if you are not pursuing knowledge outside of, let's just say, the status quo, which is the regular news media outlet, whether it be social media, whether it be Yahoo News, (laughs) Apple News, (laughs) The national news. Shame on you. 
And shame on us because sometimes I succumb to that as well. And again, I don't want to shame anyone. I never want to do that. In fact, I read on Twitter, shaming someone into action creates acting. Inspiring someone into action creates change. So shame is never my goal at all. Not at all, at all. I'm actually sad for this. We've come too far and our ancestors sacrificed too much for us to throw our hands up now and say to hell with voting. We've come too far and our ancestors sacrificed too much for us to see no point or value in voting. You think black people have always liked every candidate on both sides every election? I'm pretty sure they haven't. But too much is at stake now, not only on a national or executive level, but also on your state level. Trump didn't win because he got more votes. He won one in the electoral college. But two, he won because not enough of us decided to vote. There's nothing new under the sun with what's going on right now. There's just new players. And the 2016 election, it was Hillary and Trump. The quote-unquote lesser of two evils. The quote-unquote both of them being the dark side. And there was so much circulating around at that time. So much not really known about Donald Trump. I mean, there was a lot known about Donald Trump, but some people just couldn't see past the allure of the symbol of wealth and status and now power that Trump represents. You know, he's an icon, a reality star, a billionaire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was information out about Donald Trump, but we, some of us just really didn't really care because, again, we were put in a position to vote for the lesser of two evils. And as a result, a lot of us chose not to vote at all. And for those of us who see it the same way this time, as the lesser of two evils or no point in it because of who the candidates are, I just want to remind you in general, whether you're talking about the criminal justice system, whether you're talking about the political system, whether you're talking about all the different systems that make up the American society. It's not a broken system. It was built this way. It was built to function exactly as it is. And so that is my reason number two of why I vote. Because I fully know and acknowledge that while the system is acting and working and functioning in the way that it was intended to be, I still fully know and acknowledge the value of what my ancestors sacrificed for me to not only be able to vote, but also for a chance and a shot at racial equality. Now, reason number three why I vote. Hopefully I still have you guys here. Hopefully I still have your ear and have your interest. But if not, I understand. Come back and visit me. We could talk about it. Reason number three why I vote is to advocate for change, not just for me and my family, but for those within my country and community. So as I mentioned, I'm a social work student, but my actual background prior to social work is early childhood education. I've worked in childcare since I was four months pregnant with my oldest child. She's now 14. Woo, Lord. Talk about perseverance and resilience. I've seen and heard a lot in my time, and I've been through a lot in that time. 
Well, in social work, there are three levels of service, as I would like to call it, but technically they're called three systems. There's the micro, which is individual as a client system, meso, which is families and small groups as a client system, and macro, which is organizations, communities, and large institutions as a client system. For those people I have encountered who may or may not want to vote because they see nothing in it for themselves, to me, that corresponds to the individual level of thinking. And there's nothing wrong with that. Trust me, I've been there. And we as a society got to meet you where you are. So there's no shame in it. I get it. I get it. I may not agree, but I get it. To that same point, there are also groups of people that I have encountered that because they just can't seem to get behind a candidate that has supported or introduced legislation that has directly impacted their lives or the lives of their loved ones, they choose to voice their opinion and or choose not to vote. The example that comes to mind when I speak of this it is very specific. It is for people who say that they cannot vote or support or endorse Camilla Harris because of her time in California as a district attorney and attorney general and Joe Biden because of his support um, for the crime bill in 1991. I get it. I correlate that way of thinking to the family and small group level of thinking. And listen, I'm going to certainly go hard, so to speak, for mine so i i can understand those who feel the need to go hard for theirs too if you catch my drift legally speaking of course but that's a little slang um i don't know any other politically correct way to say that you know defend yours legally you know i get it that's the family and group level of thinking but when you have people who know and recognize the whole is greater than the sum of its parts these people look at matters of the nation, matters of their community, matters of social justice as a we thing. And those are the people that represent the community organizations and social institution level of focus, in my opinion. And again, that's just me relating social work terms to everyday life. To quote the late, great, notorious RBG herself, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. It's because of this that I ascribe to the community, organization, social institution level of thinking, where I consider my thoughts and my focus and my level of service and concern to be for my community, for the organizations within my community, for the social institutions within our nation that directly impact the organizations and the communities. ascribe to this level of thinking or this group, particular group, just because of my educational background and work experience. I do this because of the human decency and the care and concern for my fellow human being. It's the human rights factor that for me. First and foremost, my father is a former Marine and recovering addict. As a felon, he cannot vote. Or at least up until about two months ago, we had believed that he could not vote. There is now a possibility that he could file paperwork and request 
an exemption. There is no guarantee. But up until two months ago, at 61 years old, I believe he's 63. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm having trouble keeping track of my parents' ages. Um, he believed and we believed that he could not vote. And so I vote with him in mind. My mother is 66 years old. She was born in 1954, the year where Brown versus Board of Education ruled segregation of school to be unconstitutional. As a result, my mother has three degrees and would be very well on her way to her doctorate had not her mental illness progressed more in her older age. My mom is brilliant, smartest woman I know, but she's bipolar and she's aging. When I vote, I vote with her in mind. A couple weeks ago, my husband took a work-related trip to Louisiana. At that time, they were recovering from their second hurricane in five weeks. There was very little media coverage of the aftermath and the damage down there. New Orleans, NOLA, New Orleans, Louisiana, where the average household income is $9,000 per year. $9,000 per year. That doesn't even factor in the family size. That's just the income. Even though it's been ranked in the past as the second best city to visit in the United States, the average annual household income is $9,000. Wow. Somebody, somewhere in Washington or somewhere, please make it make sense. Rights come with responsibilities, y'all. I vote on a national level for leaders who will care about something like this. Now, I live in Portsmouth, Virginia, but most of my day-to-day -day interactions and responsibilities take me to Norfolk. Pre-COVID, there was a persistent and active push to move, well, technically force people out of the projects so that they can resurface the area. Essentially, they're gentrifying downtown Norfolk. They justified it in many ways, but basically they were given a timeline and a voucher to move out of the area so the projects could be torn down. These are low-income, impoverished people, children, and families. And to add insult to injury, they closed down the Save-A-Lot grocery store, thereby creating what's known as a food desert, where people who already are impoverished and lack resources now can't go somewhere local and close by to buy affordable essentials. I don't live in Norfolk. I happen to have the benefit and the privilege of having grocery stores nearby my house. I wouldn't walk to them, but they're nearby, several of them. But see, that doesn't stop me from voting on the local and national level for politicians who care about things like this. But again, back to my mother. My sweet old lady, I call her my old lady, who even despite having a mental illness, still managed to hold a job off and on until she was about 58 years old. My mother has earned her Social Security. She's paid her share of Social Security tax through her paychecks. The only reason why she's not working is because she's unable to. It's not because she doesn't want to. As a result, her health care is state funded as well. 
However, there's been times where there's been lapse in paperwork or income. You know, they when she's working and she was working, they say she makes too much and, and all those other technical things that come along with state-funded health care. And the Affordable Care Act helped her. It helped her. Even having a mental illness, even at one time having um, being pre-diabetic and having high cholesterol, the Affordable Health Care Act helped her to have affordable health care, to be able to continue to stay on her much, much needed anti-seizure medication, as well as her anti-psychotic, I believe is the word. It sounds kind of crazy saying it. I'm sure there's another way to say that, but her psychiatric meds. So when I vote, I vote with her needs in mind because her needs are my needs. And although I wish I had endless resources for her care, I don't. But I have a voice. And I use my voice to vote for politician that supports policies that won't jeopardize my mother's health care or the quality of her life at a time when she's most vulnerable. Again, I vote with her in mind. So it's with that that I'm stuck thinking about this quote that I wrote on the front of my notebook for school. I got it off of Twitter. The Twitter user's name is Joy Reed. And it says, stop expecting justice from this system. Vote in better political leaders and change the system. As it stands now, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not held even close to equally by every American. The only way to change this is to change who governs us. So again, to reiterate, Not only this last reason of why I vote, which is to advocate for change for not only myself and my family, but my community and my country. I'm also voting to set the example for my kids. And most importantly, and probably not most importantly, but equally importantly, I'm voting because I know and recognize the value of the sacrifice that my ancestors made for me to vote, as well as for me to hopefully obtain some level of racial equality in this nation that I call home. And as if those reasons that I just listed aren't personal enough for me, I think about one of my good friends from my time at the YMCA, and she's a dreamer. She didn't have the choice to be brought over here illegally. I didn't even know that she was a dreamer. She had told me some stories about her mother, so I knew about her mother's situation in terms of her immigration status, but I had no idea. And honestly, it doesn't make me look at her any differently because of it. She's a phenomenal person, giant, huge heart, very talented, works very well with children, and she's managed to make a really great life for herself despite her immigration status. And her immigration status is not even a question because she gets a work visa for working here. So technically, there's some legality to her presence here in the United States. But she's a dreamer. When I think of and when I look at kids in cages, parents in cages for that matter, during a pandemic especially, when people were already dying in those cages pre-pandemic, it just breaks my heart. I vote for and with, with the intent of keeping that in mind. It's a human decency factor. It transcends race, socioeconomic status, political status. It's a human decency and human rights thing. 
And that's why I vote. So me being me, I don't want to leave out on a heavy note. I don't want to leave anybody's heart and mind heavy. However, I do want to enlighten and inspire people, and hopefully that will do that eventually. Not even just through this episode, because it's a long one and it's a heavy one, but just in general with the thought process and the intent behind this podcast. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking and I'm laughing because my husband's been running around trying to help me get merchandise to promote my podcast. And so he has yet to listen to any of these episodes that I have recorded, which this is my second episode that I've recorded. But he sent me a text message and seeing and knowing what I was trying to do and really knowing my heart and my true intentions behind this. And so I'm going to describe this podcast in the words of my husband, of him trying to describe what he thinks and feels is my intentions. It says, it's, we're here to have the difficult conversations enlightenment, educated, be a listening ear, a voice for all people and help others keep up with current events in a non-hostile, peaceful space where we can approve one another and reach the unreachable through tough conversations to enlighten, educate, listen, while also being the voice for the people who fear or feel they aren't heard and focusing on the now current events, policies and laws. That's what we need to be educated on. And I thank him for sending me that shout out to Mr. Adams, Mr. Anthony Adams, Jr., because essentially that is the goal of this. And there's certain things that were said as far as policies and laws that is something that I'm passionate about. But that's not all that this podcast is really going to be about. I really, really like where he says, listen, while also being a voice for people who fear or feel they aren't heard. I think it's so important. And I would like to end this with that. And remind you to continue to listen up and let's talk about it. If there's anything you hear here on this show or see on the YouTube channel, feel free. And you want to be a part of the conversation. I want you to be a part of the conversation. Feel free to email me. The email is let's talk about it podcast 30 at gmail.com or hit up my inbox on our Facebook page and listen up. Let's talk about it. I also want to encourage you to stay tuned. I got something in coming in real, 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 real hot. A real open table forum and discussion amongst young black women that I love and admire. And the topic is go figure politics. But don't be turned off by by the by the topic. I don't want to elaborate too much. You're going to have to tune in for that. Just know, I promise you, God has always already promised me and assured me that it's going to be fire. And I want y'all to hopefully and I encourage y'all to tune in for that. That's going to be a more visual thing through a Zoom call. So there'll be a little bit of audio here on the podcast but you'll have to turn in and watch it on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page. But again, listen up, y'all. Let's talk about it. And oh, yeah, y'all, turn off the news and go love your neighbor, please. That's all I got. Thank you for joining me today. It's Listen Up and Let's Talk About It. And it's a podcast, y'all. I'm so excited. Stay tuned.